This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hi, my name is Dr. Hella Borno. I'm an assistant professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, and a genitourinary medical oncologist. And the title of my talk is ADT, Resistant Metastatic Prostate Cancer, also known as MCRPC, and we'll be reviewing standard of care treatment options. So when we think about the prostate cancer uh, landscape, we know that we're zooming in in this discussion, the most advanced disease state, which is metastatic CRPC. The treatment landscape in this disease state is ever evolving. And clinically, there are a variety of therapeutic classes that we can consider. And we also consider if our patient has ever received chemotherapy when we try to tailor the precise medication uh, that is right for them. So let's dive right in and think about androgen receptor blockers or antagonists. The androgen receptor plays a key role in MCRPC. We know that there are a variety of biological underpinnings um, uh, or alterations that can be observed in the MP MCRPC setting. This can include androgen receptor mutations, amplifications, or other activation pathways. When we look at biopsy samples in the MCRPC setting, we can also observe robust androgen receptor overexpression, and the vast majority of biopsy specimens that were evaluated had exhibited androgen receptor amplification. So the androgen receptor clearly still plays a key role. So it makes sense that we still uh, target that within our therapeutic um, uh, strategy. Here you see on the right an oral, the chemical structure of the oral agent, enzalutamide. Enzalutamide is dosed at 160 milligrams daily. It is a tablet. And it, what it does is it interferes with the binding of the androgen receptor to androgen or testosterone. It blocks that binding. It was studied in a large uh, phase three clinical trial known as Affirm, and uh, overall survival benefit was observed with use of enzalutamide. The side effects to be aware of for this medication are that for patients um, who have a history of falls, uh, it is concerning to use this medication as we can uh, observe um, unstable gait or, or, or uh, loss of stability with walking. It can also lower the seizure threshold, uh, so is not recommended for patients with a prior seizure history, and it can uh, worsen fatigue symptoms. The key takeaway, though, to uh, uh, no, is that it overall is well tolerated for most um, and has a significant benefit to patients and should be considered for patients with ADT resistant metastatic prostate cancer. Now I'd like to shift gears and talk about an androgen synthesis inhibitor, abiraterone acetate, which is taken with prednisone. Here you see the chemical structure of abiraterone uh, abiraterone acetate, which is also known as Zytiga. And what you see on the left is that this medication is targeting the androgen production from the adrenal gland. Um, since the adrenal gland also plays a key role in the production of steroid for um, uh, men and women, you do have to take a prednisone when you're on this medication. It was studied in a large uh, clinical trial uh, for patients um, with MCRPC and a survival benefit was observed with use of abiraterone acetate and prednisone compared to placebo. 
The key side effects for patients to be aware of is that you can observe low potassium, an increased risk of atrial fibrillation, an increase in liver labs, um, worsening fatigue, and given the fact that it's taken with prednisone, patients can have uh, higher blood pressure and higher blood glucose or blood sugars. In order to ensure that your patient is safe while taking this medication, um, one must make sure that we take a regular safety blood test. So patients go to the lab and get their blood drawn uh, once a month. The key takeaways overall well tolerated with significant benefit with patients if um, safety monitoring is performed and should be considered for all patients with ADT resistant metastatic prostate cancer. Now let's shift gears and talk about chemotherapy. Now, there, these are the chemical structures of two classes, two types of uh, chemotherapeutics, docetaxel and cabazitaxel. Docetaxel uh, was started in a large clinical trial in comparison uh, to mitoxantrin, which is an older chemotherapeutic um, that is not um, typically used um, uh, until, uh, uh, unless uh, to palliate symptoms in a much more advanced setting, and it was shown to have a survival benefit. So for patients in the second line setting, cabazitaxel was explored in the tropic study and also showed a, a, a survival benefit uh, that patients live longer if they received cabazitaxel. Therefore, in the first line setting, we typically use docetaxel, and in the second line setting, we usually consider cabazitaxel. The key side effects to be aware of with taxane chemotherapy is that you can observe low blood counts, such as anemia, or low neutrophil counts, which is neutropenia, lymphopenia, which is low lymphocyte counts, or thrombocytopenia, low platelet counts. Um, you can also see nausea, diarrhea, fatigue, um, and inflammation in the lungs. So patients do require close blood and clinical monitoring to ensure that they're safe on these therapies, given the variety of side effects. The key takeaway to note is that this, these therapies are appropriate to consider for patients with rapidly progressing cancer or who have developed cancer progression on an androgen signaling inhibitor, um, like the ones we've already discussed, uh, abiraterone or enzalutamide. Now let's shift gears and talk about immunotherapy. And the two we'll, we'll focus on are cipolucin-T and pembrolizumab. So immunotherapy, unlike chemotherapy, uh, may have a delay uh, before you observe a clinical effect. Chemotherapy rapidly debulks tumors. And then you may observe resistance and tumor regrowth, whereas immunotherapy activates the immune system and the clinical effect may take time to develop, but responses may be sustained for patients for whom immunotherapy is a benefit. We'll first talk about cipolicyl T or Provenge, which is one of the earlier immunotherapies that was developed in prostate cancer. So Provenge is really activating the immune system to recognize prostate cancer as foreign. And the administration process uh, goes like this. Patients go to a cell collection center. They get leukophoresis, which means that blood is removed. They then have their um, uh, provenge manufactured with the leukophoresis specimen. And then the activated immune cells that uh, have been manufactured are reinfused into the patient. And this process uh, typically occurs uh, three times. So three separate infusions, approximately two weeks apart. And this was studied in a large clinical trial and showed a modest survival benefit of about four months um, uh, in a large phase three trial. The key side effects for you to be aware of is that you can develop infusion-related uh, reactions such as chills and fevers. Patients can report fatigue, 
nausea, headache, joint pain. And so they do need close clinical monitoring to ensure that they're tolerating this therapy. But despite this, they, they, it is considered overall well-tolerated however, with modest benefit. It's really considered for patients with ADT-resistant metastatic prostate cancer with no to minimal symptoms from cancer. The other immunotherapy to be aware of is pembrolizumab. Now, pembrolizumab works differently from cipollucil T. If this is your T cell, which is a type of immune cell, here's a tumor. What the tumor does is it shuts down the T cell from seeing it as foreign there's an interaction between a PD-1 receptor and a ligand that is expressed on the tumor cell that allows the tumor to evade normal immune surveillance. What Keytruda or pembrolizumab does is it uh, interacts with the receptors on the T cells so that it can still recognize tumor tissue as foreign. So it's really trying to uh, uh, help avoid um, the tumor from evading your immune surveillance. It binds to this PD-1 receptor and blocks the interaction with PDL1 and PDL2 to restore the immune response. It is typically dosed at 200 milligrams every three, three weeks. It recently was approved to be dosed at 400 milligrams every six weeks, and the infusion time is about 30 minutes. However, it's not an option for everyone. Patients are only uh, eligible for this clinical trial as part of standard, sorry, are only eligible for this drug as part of standard of care if they have what is known as MSI high tumor, which means that their tumor has a lot of what are known as my, microsatellites or replicated DNA sequences. Clearly something about the tumor is unable to um, have normal um, DNA, uh, uh, DNA uh, repair um, and therefore it has a lot of microsatellites. Now for patients who are interested in pembrolizumab who do not have MSI high, uh, uh, MSI high tumors, uh, really they should be enrolling in a clinical trial uh, given the the given the fact that it is not yet our standard of care, the key piece to know about pembrolizumab is that it is activating your immune system to recognize cancer tissue as foreign. But you can also recognize healthy tissue as foreign, and you can generate inflammation in a variety of uh, different parts of the body. In, in in almost any system, inflammation can be observed. The most common side effects that are observed are rash, fatigue, diarrhea. So patients can get pneumonitis or inflammation in the lungs. So patients should be aware that pembrolizumab can have serious uh, side effects. It's still largely considered investigational unless a patient has MSI high tumor. Now let's shift gears and talk about radiopharmaceuticals such as radium-223. So radium-223 targets bone metastases. It acts as a calci calcium mimic. Not, it naturally targets new bone growth in and around bone metastases, and radium-223 is excreted by the small intestine. It, it does have a, it is an alpha emitter. So the alpha particles induce damage in the, in the DNA of the tumor cells. They cause a double-stranded DNA breaks. Alpha emitters have a short uh, penetration, only two to, cell, two to 10 cell diameters, and that's important. Because it has such a short penetration and it's highly localized, it causes less tumor, uh, um, it causes less damage uh, to healthy tissue surrounding the bone metastases. And what you can see here is that healthy tissue is your bone marrow, which produces your, your blood counts. So this uh, uh, medication was studied in a large clinical trial in the 
uh, MCRPC setting for patients without visceral metastases. So they cannot have metastases in other organs such as their lungs um, or, uh, or liver. And patients uh, who were considered for this trial had to have had prior docetaxel or unfit for docetaxel. What was observed in this clinical trial is that radium did prolong uh, a patient's survival um, when compared to placebo, and therefore it is considered a standard option. The key side effects to note is that it's associated with fatigue symptoms and that it can cause some reduced blood counts given the fact that it's going to uh, the the bone and uh, the bone has our bone marrow. Uh, The other key takeaways for you to be aware of is that it's still overall well-tolerated inappropriate to consider for patients with bone-only metastatic uh, disease. Now I want to close on uh, PARP inhibitors. So today, more than ever, we're really acknowledging the fact that uh, the genomic uh, landscape of of prostate cancer is diverse, but there is a a clear um, high proportion of patients with what are known as homologous recombination defects uh, in the MCRPC setting, which effectively means that they do not repair uh, uh, damaged DNA in the way that they should. And PARP inhibitors take advantage of that. When a patient who has a homologous recombination defect in their tumor tissue uh, has a PARP inhibitor, what happens is they are unable to repair uh, the breaks in the DNA, uh, and as a result, that leads to cell death. Uh, and, and, and therefore, the PARP inhibitor is really uh, taking advantage of this Achilles heel of uh, genomically selected uh, tumors. So TOPARP-A study uh, was trying to evaluate the benefit of Olaparib, which is a type of PARP inhibitor among um, a subset of patients um, with with certain genomic uh, findings. And what they saw is that Olaparib did uh, have uh, an improvement in in overall survival compared to the control cohort in a large clinical trial. However, uh, there were differences in the um, benefit of Olaparib um, that were driven by genetic alterations that were observed within the tumor tissue. And so that's why oncologists are frequently saying, perhaps we should try to evaluate the genomic composition of the tumor to see if we can identify genetic alteration that can tell us if you'll have a, a, a good response to a PARP inhibitor such as Olaparib, because we see that not all patients have the same response or benefit um, from, these medica- from these medications. Uh, PARP inhibitors uh, do have a fair amount of toxicity. Patients can describe nausea, fatigue, diarrhea, and it does lower um, blood counts. And so blood monitoring is very important. And the key takeaways to note are, yes, that it does have several side effects, but it is appropriate to consider with patients with DNA damage repair um, mutations or homologous recombination defects who have progressed on um, prior androgen signaling inhibitors. So we've really uh, reviewed this landscape uh, of prostate cancer. We focused in on the MCRPC setting, and uh, and it is going to continue to uh, to ever evolve as new therapeutics are uh, developed uh, through clinical trials. So thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.